Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. For those of you just joining us today, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. We are an M&A firm, merger acquisition firm, working with business owners and their families looking to sell. We've been around for over 20 years now. Our typical clients have revenues of uh, $5 million and up. Uh, so today, I thought we would take a a deeper dive into you know things that uh, destroy value, uh, increase risk for owners, uh, even kill value in a transaction. So um, you may have remembered, you know, back in the day, uh, David Letterman, the uh, I think the Late Show, he used to have a, a top ten list. You know, top ten reasons why you don't go food shopping on Mondays or top 10 reasons why you don't park your car at the beach during a hurricane, right? Funny stuff, all good. And he would stop, start with number 10 and go to number one. So I've come up with a list of 10 items, but there's no rhyme to reason uh, to rate them from one to 10, because as we talked about in prior episodes, values different for different buyers. So something that's a concern for one buyer may not be as much a concern or any concern for another buyer. So uh, we're going to delve into it. We're going to go through these and uh, give some examples. And I hope you find some value uh, in, in today's podcast. So the number one I put down was concentration, right? That's concentration of customers. It's also concentration of vendors, you know, things that destroy value or kill value. I call it the top 10 list of value killers, right? So... Customer concentration. Let's start there. Um, if you have uh, one customer that rely, you rely on 80% of your business, that could be an issue for one potential buyer. If you have a very detailed, broad customer base, uh, that is attractive. Now, that being said, you know, certain buyers are not typically overly concerned with concentration because they be, they could already have many, 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 many customers. And they're looking for capacity, looking for reasons uh, they can utilize your facilities uh, as well as, uh, you know, push product into you to help them build their business. So it's not as much of a concern. Where another, another buyer say he liked your business. So, but you got one customer. So they're going to look to structure a deal uh, that would maybe be contingent on that customer staying with you. So think about it, right? You have two companies, been around about the same amount of time, making the same product, uh, about the same sales volume, and making about the same money. One sells for maybe $10 million, $20 million, $30 million, and the other one sells for maybe $5 million. 120, this guy's 10. Why, why is that? Well, the customer makeup could have a lot of effect on that. So you really got to take a look at that. You know, if you're, you know, how you, the deals are structured. So if you are, you know, several years away um, from thinking about selling and you have some concentration with your business on customers, you know, you know bringing a salesperson in, uh, looking for ways to diversify, or at the end of the day, is that you know a firm like is finding the right buyer that doesn't have that concern, so that still 
you hold the value uh, of your business as you perceive. So those are things that, you know, I have that number one on the list. And we, we ask that question all the time when we're talking to uh, prospective clients. You know, what's your customer makeup? Uh, how long have you been dealing with your customer? What's your concentration? I mean, it's hard to get away from concentration in today's market in a lot of things. I eat like if you're an Amazon reseller, uh, you may have two or three products on it. Uh, if you work in the defense industry, you look in the medical uh, uh, device industry, things along those lines. But, you know, finding that right buyer pool that doesn't necessarily put too much weight or a lot of weight on your customer makeup is important. In addition on concentration, things that, you know, another item that people haven't focused on in the past but are really focused on now is, you know, your vendors. What is your concentration of your vendors? Um, obviously, you know, everybody's reading about it. We're in major supply chain issues right now. Um, and it's hard to get product, everything. I mean, even uh, today on the news, first thing, the top thing on the news at 6 a.m., there's no baby formula. Who would ever thought about that? That was not even on people's radar screens. So, and, and we walked a trade show, a manufacturing trade show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of our clients were there that we had sold and stayed on. But we walked around just to kind of get a pulse of what the concerns were from uh, some of the companies we met with just to chat. And, you know, everybody said to a T, I can't get product. So, you know, if, so if you have constraints and are not able to bring your product in or your product comes in, you used to get in 30 days, now it's 120, 180, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the buyer is going to look at that as something that could decrease the valuation because they can't get the product out the door. Therefore, seeing a sales reduction down the road. So give me a couple examples. We have a client that has a very diversified vendor base. They have a vendor base in Southeast Asia. They have a vendor base in India. They have a vendor base here in the U.S. So they provide themselves with three different sources of how to bring product in uh, to meet the demands of their customers. And they were very smart about that. And they and they kept on. They have a they have twenty percent of the business is onshored, right? They are going to continually buy U.S. as a as a backup plan if they have run into a problem getting product from overseas, which is is a big issue right now because of uh, the pandemic in Southeast Asia. Nothing shipping, so that concern has been eased. So that's not destroying value from an overall uh, from a, from the buyer perspective. We have another company we're talking to, they have an extremely high reliance on one vendor. And if that vendor were to stop shipping or in this case, stop accepting, um, you know, this, the, the processes that these guys need to be done, that where are they going to go? Uh, the next vendor that they can use is, you know, miles and miles and miles away which, what does that do? It increases your cost. So if your your margins are now 35% and then now to ship it or to go get this process done and bring it back, the, the cost of fuel, transportation, et cetera, et cetera, your margins are being suppressed. The buyer's going to take a look at that and they're going to perform it out in a way that they say, look, you're making this profit now, but we anticipate this, so we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna take value off the table a certain amount. 
We think you thought it was worth X. We think it's worth Y. And, you know, either you can continue to work with that vendor or that buyer, excuse me, or, or not. But, you know, there's other buyers out there that they already have a supply, right? They already have a vendor mix that, that you can just kind of tap into. It's not a concern. So the thing is, when you're looking at value, things that destroy value, you also got to look at the buyer, when you're talking to them, that, that these things are at the surface, these things are important, and that when you get down to it, you're going to see a big differential in value from one buyer, from another buyer, because of how their company's made up and how they deal with these issues. So your concentration is something to take a look at. If you could, uh, depending on where you are in the life cycle, life cycle of your business, um, if you can uh, you know, augment that and find ways to reduce that, uh, expand your vendor base, expand your customer base. Those are all positive things. And two on the list of the 10 uh, is what we call non-recurring revenue. I, we were talking to a company, my buddy sold his business for X, mine must be worth the same. But you don't know how your buddy or your friend or your peer, business, how they how they recognize revenue, how they, how they build their clients, how, how they ship, uh, what their customer's makeup is, right? So when we talk about non-recurring revenue, we're talking about one time, a project. So let's talk a, a, a client we sold several years ago that was a, a, an HVAC contractor. He basically billed as he got the job done every time for 40 years. That's how he did his business. And we have another client that has service agreements with all his commercial customers, like a subscription, a reoccurring revenue, that it is definable, uh, it is uh, measurable, and the buyer's looking at that, hey, I see a stream of revenues down the road that I can discount today or look at today and say, okay, this company's definitely worth X or even more versus someone who does things on a project basis. You're done, and boom, and now you go on to your next project. You know, where is that next project coming from? How am I going to do it? You can talk about we have repeat customers, yes and no, but you know, do they need my service today or do they need it six months from now? So when you, if you have a consistent revenue stream that's predictable as best it can be versus something that's worked on a project basis, and I'm just talking like, you know, uh, uh, someone building a house or someone building a wall, construction related. You know, there's a number of firms out there that are in, you know, high tech, uh, let's call it, uh, you know, IT companies. Many, many have gone through this, what they call this managed service, right? Which is basically, we're going to put you on a contract. We're going to provide various services. And you're going to pay as this annually or quarterly or monthly. That's a predictable income stream, which adds value where we have a, uh, another client, we're potential client we're talking to, that they, it's all project-based. Is that we did this project for you today. What else can we do for you? Let's take a look at it. Hey, I'll be back to you. The buyer looks at that. That suppresses value. That's an increased risk for you. And um, has to be worked through. Again, it comes back to the buyers. Uh, some will have concerns about that. Others may not have such a concern about that. So... That's number two. So concentrations one, non-recurring revenues two. Third one is is basically is the owner you. I mean, how much is the de we talked about this many times in a pesa. How much is the business dependent on 
you as the owner to drive to drive growth. Um, you got two companies, and I, I, I literally want to do a case study on this sometime. You had two companies, two two friends. They opened up next to each other. Um, both manufacture similar product. Twenty dial forward twenty five years. One is expanded three or four times. Now a hundred thousand square foot facility, and has a strong team in place, and is doing 150, 200 employees. And then the other one is still in that twenty five hundred square foot space. Has a five has five employees that pretty much have been with it for twenty five years, living a comfortable lifestyle, but hasn't really gone anywhere, right? He hasn't increased any value. So if a buyer comes in and they see that you have a, a deep team, hey, we all can't do it all ourselves. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there from the largest corporation in the world to a small company uh, on Main Street that doesn't rely on someone or a team to help them build their business. So if you don't have that management depth, that is going to destroy value because the buyer is going to be highly reliant on you. And you may not want to be there, right? You're looking to sell, whether you're selling because you want to retire or you're looking to sell because uh, your spouse is ill and you want to spend more time taking care of them or, you know, you just, you just had it. And a lot of that's going on right now. I just had, I just don't want to work anymore. Right. So, but you can't sell your business because everything's relying on you. So if you're an owner, again, depending on what life cycle you're in, you need to look at it, but looking to build your team uh, over the next two to three to five to 10 to 20 years to expand your presence, to build your market, to build a strong team behind you is critical. You know, buyers buy companies not only for their product, but they buy them for their talent, their management teams. So if you do not have a strong management team in place, that's going to affect the value of your business moving forward. So that's number three. So we talked about concentration. We talked about non-reoccurring revenue. We talked about owner reliance or lack of management. So number four, no reported history of earnings. So, okay, you're, you're a business, uh, a family business. Uh, most businesses you know, look to uh, reduce income, uh, reduce profits, excuse me, to, you know, to uh, minimize taxes. Um, anybody who owns a family business that um, there's ad backs. And we, you know, anybody buying a family business looks at the ad backs. So we, you know, as long as they're definable and auditable and, and proven, you add them back and you come up with your normalized profits. That, so that's where you get to that adjusted profit, adjusted EBITDA, and that's kind of what you sell off of. But if you've been in business and say you've had, you know, you've had a couple tough years. Um, in 2016, you, you know, 2 million EBITDA, you started trending down. 2000, you know, went to a million and a half. And then in 2018, a million, 19. And then all of a sudden, you are, have this negative curve going with your earnings for various reasons. Uh, you could have lost a customer, uh, the competition's fierce, 
someone, uh, people are outsourcing the service or product overseas. But all of a sudden, you know, boom, 2021, your profits start to rise again. People are onshoring. They want to use you again. So you're getting confidence. And now you're in 2022. And, you know, you did a million EBITDA. You did no money in 2020. You did a million profit in 21. And now you're looking to do, you know, we're, we're halfway through 2022. You're looking to do, you know, a million and a half, maybe 2 million in 22. So look, I'm, I'm, I'm worth, I'm, I'm worth this much more money now, which is a natural reaction to have because your profitability, but you don't have any consistent, you don't have a consistent earnings history. In fact, you've had a, 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 a trough. So when you look to sell, the buyer's going to look at your history and look at your trends and they're going to apply that to their formula of the come up with a valuation. So not having a predictable, consistent earnings history is going to have an effect on value, especially if, you, if you've if you had good earnings over years and certain circumstances or environmental uh, situations, uh, i.e. the COVID uh, uh, pandemic, et cetera, have played into it and now you want to sell. Now, you could structure the deal where you get exit closing, and then if you continue to, to achieve over the next couple of years, we'll pay you that money out. Uh, but that means you got to stay on with the business and run it. So that's number four. So number one, concentration. Number two, non-recurring revenue. Company relying on the owner, lack of management, and no real history of earnings. Those things destroy value. Number five, Unreliable financial information. Um, you know, so the acronym out there today is uh, QOE or quality of, of earnings. Every buyer is going to do uh, during due diligence a, you know, prove out your numbers, quality of earnings. So it all depends on the kind of information that you uh, have, whether you have audited financials or you have reviewed or compiled financials or you have internal financials and tax returns all kind of play into you know, how a buyer looks at those things and how they're going to perceive that from a value perspective. You know, skepticism. We talked about it before. The less skeptical they are, the higher the value. The more skeptical, the lower the value. So depending on, again, depending on where you are today, and like if you need to sell today, um, whether it's because of a health condition or a family health condition or some other, a partner dispute, a number of factors, how do you, what do you do about that? So we're going to take, we're, we're going to scrub you. We, we, we scrub numbers. We're working on a deal right now, getting ready to take the market. And we're expending uh, an extraordinary amount of time looking at uh, their internal numbers, along with their CPA firm, et cetera. Um, you know, we have some things that we need to know that we need to be comfortable with that we can identify, we can speak to, you know, we're all about transparency. So to minimize surprises. So if you're, you know, haven't had a, you know, haven't had that detailed service, right? You haven't had that, uh, you know, that, you know, outside CPA doing annual reporting for you, you know, one way to maybe, um, help you to, uh, to get that value back up from a buyer perspective is do a sell side, you know, QV, quality of earnings. What does that mean? Is that you hire your accounting firm to come in there to prove out your numbers. And they put together a very comprehensive report, PowerPoint presentation or, or PDF or whatever, that they look at a history of your business, not just the financial, but operational people, et cetera. And that report 
will make that available to the buyer pool as part of uh, our presentation when we go to market. You know, we release it, of course, after they sign a CA, et cetera. But that gets the buyer more comfortable and confident that you've hired a reputable firm that does a quality of earnings that basically proves out the financial information that is in your the book that we put out. So today we talked about five out of the 10. We talked about concentration. We talked about non-reoccurring revenue, owner reliance, lack of management, no reporting history, financial statements. So at, at this point, I think, you know, I think this is a very important topic and I like to go through the remaining, you know, number six through 10 in our top 10 list. Uh, uh, in our next episode. I uh, hope you all come back for that. Um, I, I thank you for being here today. Uh, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Uh, you can uh, visit us at our website at osageadvisors.com. Uh, feel free to uh, give me a call at 860-767-3273, extension 1001, or shoot me an email at kdee at osageadvisors.com. Thanks for being here today. We greatly appreciate it and have a terrific day. (laughs) 